Nice to meet you. Uh, I am Reese. I'm an alcoholic. Um, <clears throat> so this is my second time. So I got sober uh, December 8th, 2011, which uh, yeah, may sound like a long time. I feel like a baby still. Um, I recorded my, I, I did, shared my story once before and I spent days you know, trying to craft it on paper. And and, uh, and then I got up here and uh, the paper was a distraction. I couldn't focus. I have a really pea brain and I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So I didn't prepare. I just figured I, I um, said a little prayer. I asked for my higher power to give me the words. And so here I am. Um, so uh, earlier today, I well, not too long ago, a couple hours ago, I picked up 9,000 ladybugs that I had ordered. And right before I came here, I put them out in my yard and they were like crawling all over me. So I'm still, I still like, it feels like, <laughs> it feels like I got ladybugs crawling on me. So if I do this, it's, that's why. Um, so I, I started drinking, uh, well, the first time I got drunk was just fucking magnificent. Um, I remember, I, I don't know, I was 14 maybe. I'd drinking before, but this was, this was the first time it was just out of this world cool. And I remember um, just experiencing this freedom and just this relief from the pain of being me, you know, <laughs> for lack of... Uh, I was always uncomfortable in my skin. And so I drank and, and smoked pot and did a variety of other things until 1988 and I got sober for five years. I, I had been doing cocaine uh, very heavily and I couldn't stop doing that. And uh, I remember, um, so this last time I got sober, it was like a, a dud, a firecracker that doesn't go off, you know, so, you know, it's not very exciting. But in 1988, I remember I'd, I'd bought, and this is Bolden, so I'm going to talk about my drug use. I bought, a, <laughs> I bought an eight ball. I love what a friend Scotty says, uh, that he's allergic to alcohol. When he drinks alcohol, his sinuses get filled up with cocaine. <laughs> um, so I, I had this this last night in 1988. It was actually July 3rd, and um, I bought an eight ball, you know, in College Station, and I was going to Houston, you know, and I figured, you know, I'd find somebody to party with. This was before cell phones, and I didn't find anybody to party with, and so I was doing this eight ball at home alone, and. Um, I remember, I remember not being able to look in the mirror at myself. I remember this, just this intense loneliness that I felt. <clears throat> and um, I think I literally fell to my knees and said, help. And then I saved a little bit of Coke for the next morning. I decided that I was gonna go down and visit my family in Galveston and tell them that I was doing cocaine and I couldn't stop. 
And so that's what I did. Uh, I went down and I got sober July 4th, 1988. Went to my first AA meeting in Houston. It was a bunch of old white men, of which I now unfortunately am one. <laughs> I, I became that um, at some point. Uh, we're all gonna fucking die, so the world will be a better place. Um, joke. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, so it was cool. It was cool. I remember the, going into the meeting, and I didn't really. I don't remember what happened in the meeting. I, I was like, yeah, whatever. And I remember leaving the meeting and feeling like. I'm feeling so good, and it was—I was definitely on a pink cloud. And I drove, and I parked, drove towards downtown, and parked on the side of the freeway and watched the firecrackers. And uh, it was—it was a great fucking beginning to sobriety. And then 30 days later, I was out at a lake with a friend, and. He was smoking a joint, and I had no desire to smoke. But suddenly, I just took the joint and smoked. And I, what it felt like was like a glass dome just coming out of the sky, going right, just right around me. And it, just instantly, I felt this uh, isolation again, and just this aloneness that I was so familiar with, being alone and lonely. Um, <clears throat> around people, even in crowds. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. And uh, that was comfortable for me because I was terrified of people. Um, and uh, I stayed sober for five years. I went back to school. Um, I got my degree in theater. And then uh, me and my girlfriend broke up. We moved back from Chicago to Houston and College Station. And I remember driving to College Station and like halfway there, I was like, you know, I, I was thinking of these old days. I, I drank a lot in Bryan College Station and we had good old times, you know, fun times. So I was driving up and I was thinking about those fun times. I pulled over in Navasota and got a couple of big boys and uh, got to College Station drunk. And, that was the end of that. So then I didn't, I, I forgot about AA for almost 20 years. Just never occurred to me. Um, and in that time, I, uh, I just kept going. I didn't do cocaine anymore very much. And, um, <laughs> I'd like to say I didn't do it anymore, but that would not be honest. But I wasn't a coke addict anymore. Uh, but I drank, and I started, um, I was on the road with uh, bands for about 15 of those years, close to 15 of those years. And uh, I remember this, um, it was really cool. So I remember coming in here um, 11 years ago, almost 11 years ago, and feeling so fucking empty and feeling like I, there, was no, there was no Reese, you know? Without my alcohol and drugs, without my job, without my wife, uh, without my kid, I was nothing. 
it was like my identity was based on whatever was around. And, and I remember sitting here and just feeling like I've got no identity. Who am I? Um, so I got, so I got this job with the, with the national touring band and, um, and I got really good at my job. I was a guitar tech, not a traditional guitar tech. I wasn't a luthier by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, but I became a guitar tech and I was really good at taking care of the stage. And at some point, um, I, in, in, um, Athens, I went into a resale shop and I bought a pleated black miniskirt and I, and I wore that with a black mock neck long sleeve shirt and I found some black uh, heels and it was like, <clears throat> it was so great because I, I was able to change, I was, this is, so I became this person, this stage person that wore this mini skirt and, and um, it felt good to me to, to be able to step into it, almost like creating a character. And um, uh, I found that I, I really enjoyed doing that. And like, I would look for excuses, like Halloween, I would dress up like a woman. It was just fun. And I remember um, my girlfriend in College Station lived in a dorm and there were no boys allowed. So I dressed up like a woman and we just walked right in. <laughs> but before doing that, we went into the Dixie Chicken, which is, uh, so there's Dudley's Draw and that's all the hippies, misfits, uh, you know, Dudley's, uh, that's, that's where I lived. And uh, the chicken, which was cowboys, of which I was not, but I walked in dressed up like a woman and was flirting with these cowboys and freaking them out. And that was fun. Um, but um, the idea of, so, so working for that band, you know, I created, you know, uh, I felt like I was somebody. I was, you know, I was doing something important. I, I, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was good. Um, and, I I got I I never smoked pot before the show because I my job was really like um, you know I had like twelve guitars for two guitar players and a bass player that I had to and some of them were acoustic and it's a motherfucker tuning an acoustic guitar in a loud show um, but I finally figured out how to do it but I so I didn't smoke and I didn't drink before the show because I. It, I wanted to be like good. And then somewhere through the show when everything was going smooth, I'd start smoking pot. And um, then I knew that two songs, the last two songs I could get a gin and tonic. If I started before then, I'd be fucked up after those two songs. Um, and I remember getting, I would get so angry if I couldn't get my gin and tonic. Um, I remember also the other thing about 
you know, being on tour, we sent out a rider and, you know, this is what we asked for. We asked for two stagehands and we asked for this and that. And inevitably we'd get to the, to the venue and that wouldn't be there. Uh, and I would just get so, I would get so pissed and so wound up and like, where's our fucking loaders, you know? And it was really, um, you know, I wanted to fucking control my job. I mean, I was a stage manager, so uh, I wanted to fucking control it. And when it, things didn't go my way, it was, I wasn't happy. Um, later on, I worked for this tour manager. He was like, he was so mellow and he just took everything as it came. And, and uh, I really, I really regretted that I spent my time out there, you know, not getting my way um, and being a baby about it. Um, so, uh, hey, do y'all know about the Pink House Chronicles? I didn't announce it. So, did you announce it? I didn't. Well, so we've been recording since I think 2018, and there's a, it's on SoundCloud, and there's a podcast called the Pink House Chronicles. This is my plug. This is my midway. Um, but it's so cool. There's like 101 recordings on there and I was up there I was up there before and um, and I listened to it and I was like oh man I sound like a dork and I pulled it down and um, so I was thinking this time you know maybe I'll still sound like a dork but the way I sound is the way that y'all hear me and some of y'all still like me um, and so I decided I could just live with uh, whatever my perception is of myself. But the Pink House Chronicles is really cool. And I started listening to it from the very beginning and just one speaker after another. And uh, it's cool to look at because people from around the world listen to it. And you can look at the SoundCloud um, analytics and you can see where the people are that listen to it. It's really cool. Um, anyway, so in that, in that, Almost 20 years of drinking, I met my wife. I was 42. I was 42. I was 40. I was, um, she was 19. So I was 40, 21 years. And, um, which was appropriate because I was emotionally, you know, way younger than 19. Um, and uh, we had a kid who uh, was a sweet little baby, and now he's a sweet 14-year-old. And uh, it's tough being a parent. I'm glad I've been sober for most of his life. Um, so, I mean, my, my drug usage wasn't much, it wasn't any different than y'all's. You know, I, I, when I drank alcohol, I couldn't stop. I was pretty good at maybe, like the last years, I wouldn't start drinking until I was getting ready, you know, at the end of the day. I'd wake up smoking pot but and smoke all day, but save the drinking for last. And um, so I lost my wife and um, I, uh, <clears throat> 
I went manic. I was diagnosed bipolar one uh, right before I got sober. Um, and I came when I came in here. I was whack. I was just so. I was still like. I mean, I I got. If anybody's experienced this, I've, I've got I've gotten in a manic state, and it's like your brain just blows up and connections just go away, and it takes. It takes a while for them to repair. Um, so I was pretty whack when I came here. I, I um, so I lost my wife. Um, I uh, I went to PES uh, psychiatric emergency services, got medication, and um, my dad had just died. And I remember walking walking home and thinking, you know that. I had alienated my family. My dad was gone now, and I remember thinking that for the first time, like I'm responsible for my own life. Like nobody's going to take care of me anymore. Um, and uh, so it was shortly thereafter that I came into AA. My last drink was at Polvos. I had been bar hopping that day, and um, I got. A couple of margaritas at Polvos, and we had just moved from New Orleans. And um, I remember being so upset because they wouldn't let me take a margarita with me. And um, I went out to the parking lot empty-handed, and I just felt like, you know, I couldn't drink enough to kill the pain. Um, just the just the incredible loneliness. Um, you know, I was, I was spending my 401k and I was running out of money and, um, I didn't have, you know, I was, al I was alone. Uh, and I realized then that the alcohol wasn't killing the pain. And I, I had been to Bolden back in 1988 and it just popped into my head. I hadn't thought about AA in those 15 or 20 years. And Bolden just popped into my head, and I looked and got directions and came here. And it felt, when I walked through the door, it felt like I had, like, stepped out of this, you know, underwater weighted deep diving suit. Uh, I just, I felt so much relief. Um, I, f I felt love in this room. Uh, Y'all welcomed me. And uh, it felt really good, and I, I felt hope for the first time. And I, I remember uh, those first few, I don't know, weeks, months, whatever, uh, I wanted to share, and, when I, and I would share, but when I would share, it, I felt, it felt like something inside of me was just going to explode out, and, and it was scary, and I'd shake. And, uh, you know, it felt like this monster was just going to burst out. Um, and that finally went away. Um, I got a, uh, at one point, um, after a meeting, a, a man came up to me and grabbed my shoulder and he grabbed Jim, Jim's, Cooley's shoulder and said, Reese, this is your sponsor, Jim. 
And so Jim was my first sponsor. And uh, took me through the steps. And I, I remember, um, you know, the fourth step is, the fourth step's always been so fucking difficult for me. Uh, it was easy for me. You know, I was definitely powerless over alcohol. My life was so fucking unmanageable. Um, you know, step two, coming to believe in a power greater than myself. I felt that this, that first night in here, the love I felt in this room, um, and then the decision to turn my will over. I didn't know what the fuck that meant, but the decision I made that night was to come back. You know, that first night was to come back to another meeting, and I heard, you know, just don't, just don't drink between meetings, and so. I could do that. I would come to the noon and the 5.30 and the 8. And I did that for a long time. Um, but but the fourth, first four step, it was so, it seemed so superficial. But it was the best I could do. You know, I, uh, it was short. I did my fifth step with Jim. I didn't really feel anything. But moved on through the steps. And then uh, I ended up getting another sponsor because Jim, Jim is technologically challenged and doesn't have a cell phone. I couldn't get a hold of him. I shouldn't say that about him. He's, he does great on the Zoom. I take that all back. I'll delete that from the tape. Um, So, but I, you know, and I've had the opportunity to do a couple more four steps. Um, but for me, it's not like, oh, okay. You know, I have a friend, I think of Elizabeth, who's just like, oh, I do the 12 steps every year. And she's so fucking, I so much admire her and, and her program. It's just badass. And, um, and I can't do that. It's usually when I'm in a whole lot of pain that I do a fourth step. And um, so it's, it's real it's interesting. So after all that superficial fourth step about all these people who have wronged me, and um, I got to do a fourth step about, I don't know, three or four years ago. And, um, started going back to like childhood stuff. So when I started drinking, I, I, I was so uncomfortable, and I hear this from so many of y'all in here. I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I, um, I, I didn't uh, know how to communicate with people. I didn't know what the emotions I was feeling were, so I couldn't talk about them. My mom didn't, you know, I didn't get that. Um, I lacked, uh, I didn't learn anything about intimacy, like emotional intimacy with people. My mom didn't give me that. I remember when I was a kid, she would come up and, and rub my back when I was in bed going to sleep. And God, it felt so good. And then when she stopped and left, I remember feeling so fucking empty. And, um, so I, I never learned how to have a relationship with people. Um, 
I, uh, I was terrified of, of girls. I had a crush on this girl growing up. She was a good friend of my next door neighbor, Patty's. And, uh, but I was too, I was just too terrified. And I remember Patty and Chris making fun of me. You know, they did the free Simone, I said, in the tree. And that just freaked me out, man. That was like, that was more than I could handle. Because I didn't know what that meant. It was like, so I was terrified of women. And I recently, I told my cousin, uh, just this, this year, I think, that I had a crush on Mona. And Mona is a good friend of my cousin. My cousin immediately called Mona and said, hey, you know, that Reese had a crush on you way back then. And Mona said, well, I had a crush on him too. And, and my cousin told me that, and I'm like, fuck. Um, but yeah so I was terrified I was terrified of people I was terrified of women I I witnessed um, God this is so sad I hate to even bring it up but in second grade uh, we were walking home from school me and Patty and there was a new girl and uh, in town and this was at the beginning of the school year and uh, and we were teasing her, and we were walking home. And I remember she was riding her bike, and and I remember looking at her, and she was like looking at us and riding her bike across the street, and a car hit her and killed her. And um, I remember Patty saying, "Oh, don't tell anybody about this. They they won't let us ride our bikes to school." And then I remember later that night, my mom telling me that the, that the girl had died. And, but that was it. There was, I don't remember any kind of grief counseling, any, there was not, nobody helped me process that. And um, this four, this four years ago or whatever, I was, I was talking about some something. You know, I went over to my brothers to cry about something, and and I said one I said one sentence about it was some person that I was boohooing about, and the next thing out of my mouth was about Susan, this little girl that got killed, and um, what I remembered that was second grade. I remember in. Eighth and seventh grade, me and my buddy uh, who lived on Broken Bow made a Molotov cocktail. And, and he lit it and I threw it across the street and it landed on the other side of the street and blew up and made a fire. The connection I made four years ago was where that Molotov cocktail landed was exactly the spot that I was walking, looking at this girl and she got hit. And what that, uh, what I read into that is that I've, I've like punished myself my whole life. You know, I felt, I felt guilty. I felt responsible for this little girl's death. Uh, and I've, I've taken it out on me. And, um, so the, it seems like the further, the, the longer I stay in here, the further back in time I go. Um, 
another thing, um, my, uh, my mom and I almost died at, at my birth. The placenta was over the birth canal, and so when she went into labor, she started bleeding to death, and then I was, this explains a lot, I was deprived of oxygen. Um, I think there's a little part of my brain that just is inactive, and that's the part that I call a pea brain. But so that so that was pretty traumatic, and and it must have been a big deal. And then when they brought me home, my six-year-old brother said, "Oh, is that it?" Like, and my mom would tell this story at every birthday I had. Uh, she would tell the story, this story of. You know, her bringing me home and Neil saying, oh, is that it? And it was just a funny thing, you know. But what I learned, you know, being in here after some four steps is the message that I got was that, that I was less than expected. And that's, and I grew up being less than expected. You know, um, by the time my uh, siblings had left, I had three siblings. Uh, sister was 10 years older my brother Chris eight and Neil was six years older than me and so I was the baby but when they all when they left my parents didn't give a shit about parenting I could do whatever the fuck I wanted and um, what I've learned is that's not good for a kid to have no boundaries there's there's a real uh, terror and fear that comes along with that uh, and anyway so I drank because I didn't feel good inside, and drinking made me feel better until it didn't. Um, and so, I gotta take a breath. The cool thing about somewhere along the process of uploading this tape, I don't remember which program it is, but it takes out the gaps. So I could be silent for a while, but. Nobody will ever know that. Um, so there was cool, cool things happened when I came here. There was a fella that was out in the backyard every noon meeting. And when I was new, he would hug everybody. And he would give me a hug. And uh, that was just so great for me that um, and then he was he was at every noon and 8 p.m. and uh, yeah it's been slow you know I, so I came in here without an identity and what I've found is that is that I've I've discover myself in you. You know, when you share about whatever's going on, um, that I, that I, there's things that I can connect with and that resonate for me. And um, the more that I listen to other people in here, the more that I learn about myself. Um, it's, it's very difficult for me to see myself um, 
So the, the fellowship is so important. Um, when I first started, I came to, you know, 180 and 90 meetings. And uh, my favorite thing to do is to get here early and to watch people come in. And then as, as I got to know people, and miraculously, I learned how to remember people's name. I don't know how that happened. I think because we say our name a lot, that probably helps. And um, But I, I love watching people come in. And, uh, and it was cool. If you go to meetings every day, you see a lot of different people. And... Um, like if you miss if you miss a meeting, you might miss this person that comes to one meeting, you know. So that was really cool. And I remember early in my sobriety, I was on whatever bipolar medication and uh, shit, and I would <clears throat> I would lay down in bed at night and I would trying to go to sleep. I would think of this room and I'd I'd start thinking. I'd go down the row and think of y'all, think of the people. And just feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, so it was it was real important to. Um, <clears throat> so I, people ask me to do stuff around here, you know, pick up cigarette butts, make coffee, wash the coffee cups. Washing the coffee cups is a cool gig because you can literally meet people as they go out. Um, and it, it wasn't so scary anymore for me to say, hey, I'm Reese, and reach out my hand. Um, and, you know, I've heard, I hear people tell me that, you know, they remember back that I had, I had reached out my hand to them. And, and that's really a cool thing when somebody tells you how you help them. And there's a number of those people for me that reached out to me. Um, so the fellowship is so important. And uh, I remember, so I smoked cigarettes from 15 to, when did I quit? It was about six years ago, 55. That's a fucking long time. How many years is that? 40. And, but thank God I did because I was so uncomfortable around people. We had a little group, our litter mates, and um, we would go to, uh, what was that place down there? Barton Springs, the, the coffee shop. Uh, we would go We would go out to these places, and I remember just feeling, these are my friends, but I was so uncomfortable. Um, I was slow, I was real slow with conversation. You know, when people were talking about something, I'd be like responded to that about two minutes down the line, and they were on, off to somewhere else on something else. There was a Saturday Night Live skit about that, um, which really resonated with me. But it was it was awkward and and scary, but I did it, and I remember feeling I I could go out back and smoke, cause God, I, how would you just go out back and just stand there? How uncomfortable is that? Um, but what I learned is, is that I can go out and, I'm not, and I can stand there by myself and I can look and look for somebody else that's standing by themselves and then go introduce myself. Um, and um, 
it's just been great. The steps are, uh, they're so slow. You know, I, my sponsor, so I, I haven't, my third sponsor, well, my, so my second sponsor, um, I did my second fourth step, fourth step with, I laid on his couch to write my fourth step because I, I just, it was the lack of oxygen at birth. I just couldn't, you know, there were, I didn't, but my mom, what, I don't know. But he, so he helped me uh, write my fourth step. And, uh, but it, then he also like would ask for lots of rides and stuff. And, and uh, it got to be, and then I, I told him about this girl that I was interested in. And uh, he fucking told people. And it got back to that girl. And I remember walking, <laughs> walking up the driveway here and the, she comes storming out. Just like, oh my God. It was like, what? So I fired him. And, uh, and I, got, I got my current sponsor, who I really admire. They, y'all told me to look for people that have what I want. And uh, my current sponsor is the coolest cat and um, seems so mellow and so level headed. And, um, the way he sponsors is you meet him at his house at a certain time each week. And that has been, that has been so great for me to, to be accountable to him, to write that in my calendar. You know, every week it's the same. And it's been, it's been great. Um, I go in there, you know, sometimes and nothing happening. We talk about engines or whatever. And then, then sometimes I have some, you know, important step work to do. And uh, we do that. My, uh, my other sponsors were like, yeah, let's get together. Let's try to meet up, you know, Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. And then Wednesday rolls around. And it's like, oh, yeah, now nah, well, how about like Saturday? You know, it's just put it off. It's really cool for me to have that, that, set appointment um and this was probably the first person that i be, that I, I began to have an emotional uh, um intimacy with you know i know that that emotional the intimacy begins with expressing honestly who what's inside of us um to open up and this is who i am this is what i think this is how I feel and it's been long and hard you know and and um, I trust him and um, I always I was always like um, you know with people I so wanted to be with people I wanted to be with people I, I like needed people I was so terrified so it's like you know come close stay away you know, and I, I remember talking about how I'd keep, keep people at arm's length. And then over the years, I felt like, you know, my elbows were bending a little bit more. And what I find is that this, who I'm, who I'm letting closer is, it's me getting closer to myself. And so I know, you know, they say, well, you got to love yourself before you can love somebody else. You know, I'm sure we've all heard that. I believe there's a lot of truth in that, that, you know, 
this program is, is like I, I said, I'm, I find myself in you, and, and it allows me to get to know myself better and to get closer to myself. And I'm still not, you know, I'm still, I got a lot of fucking work to do. I'm thinking about doing a EMDR, because I've heard, heard that that can really get to, like, these uh, hardwired physiological, you know, how trauma has just implanted into our, our being. Um, and, um, you know, I... Uh, AA, this, working with this program, there's lots, there's lots of things out there. There's the MDR, you know, I, I, I do therapy. I think I'm going to fire my therapist. Um, <laughs> but I don't, like, my old therapist retired, and she just had big shoes that this one's not filling. But there's, there's all kinds of things in life. There's, you know, work, people go back to school, all of these great things that people do. And for me, and I think for a lot of us, the foundation underneath all of that is this fellowship, this program, these steps. It's learning how to live this life one day at a time um, by the, in practicing these principles in all our affairs to the best of our ability. And the, what sucks about this program is that I got to come for the rest of my life. What's great about this program is I get to come the rest of my life because there's always, always, fucking always more to learn, you know? It's like, it's a cool fucking journey, an adventure. It can be. And it can be hard and tough and painful. I've, I've experienced a lot of pain in sobriety. Um, I've been depressed. I've like, you know, wished that I wasn't here. Uh, thinking about how, oh, I can't, oh, I can't kill myself because I got a son, but God, what would that be like? Wouldn't it just be great to not exist right now? So I've gone through that and, um, and I think it's a normal thing, you know? And if we can, if we can stay connected with the program, with the people, with the fellowship, God, we got such a great chance of, uh, of you know, staying alive and, and, and having it be okay and sometimes even good. Um, I've experienced joy in sobriety, um, uh, and I remember, you know, just these odd times, like sticking my hands in the earth, maybe gardening or something, and just feeling this sensation of joy, and it's like, wow, that's fucking great. Is it really tin till? Oh, fuck. Okay, so what can I do? What can, how can I end this? Uh, what should I say? What do you need to hear before I, before I say goodbye? Um, yeah, keep coming back. That's the best thing. Keep coming back. And one of my favorite things that Bill S. said is, the more meetings you come to, the faster you recover. And that's cool. <laughs>
uh, and I believe that. Um, so anyway, thanks. Thank you.